0: Welcome back to In Your Own Words Podcast. I'm Chris Thickpin. And yes, this is season two. I would like to thank all the listeners that downloaded any of the episodes from season one. And I would also like to once again thank my guests for coming on and sharing your success stories, your journey throughout life or the coaching world, your um, experiences at various stops throughout Mississippi. Um, that was very, very um valuable, I think. Um, And it created a chance for you to archive your own story. So big shout out to you guys. I would also like to thank those of you that are listening overseas in Germany, Ireland, South Korea, the Netherlands, Tanzania, and Sweden. It means a lot to me that I could reach you guys in that way. And I hope that you've enjoyed those episodes thus far. If you would like to get in contact with me or if you have any requests, suggestions, whatever, you can reach out to me at in your own words, the number 20 at gmail.com. Again, that's in your own words, the number 20 at gmail.com. It is December 2020 and we're still dealing with COVID-19. Some of you have lost loved ones due to COVID. Some of you have survived COVID like myself. And so hopefully in the next coming weeks or months, um, we will put this thing behind us and return to a sense of normalcy. So get ready for another great episode on In Your Own Words podcast. I'm Chris Dickpin. Sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of In Your Own Words podcast. I'm Chris Dickpin. And for the first time in season two, I have a multiple-state championship winning head football coach on the podcast. In 20 years as a head coach, he's averaged 10 and half wins per season and has won three state championships as head coach at two different high schools. This is a high school fo- football story that needs to be archived by the man himself. His most recent championship came this past fall at McGee High School in McGee, Mississippi. Where his he led the Trojans um, to a Class Three A state championship, defeating Knoxby County for the first state title since two thousand. So I would like to introduce and welcome longtime head football coach Coach Teddy Dice to In Your Own Words. Coach, welcome and thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you, Chris, and thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be on your on your podcast this evening, Coach. Uh, you you just came off a, a state championship, uh, another state championship. Um, you know, now that you've had time for it to sink in, um, you know, what are your reflections uh, back on this past season and your team? You know, so much craziness
1: with COVID going on, not getting to go through spring training and hiring two new coordinators, hiring a new offensive and defensive coordinator, and you're a little bit worried about, putting in schemes and making changes without the, the springtime and all, but had a tremendous summer, Chris, starting June one, our kids really showed up in droves and really bought into what we were trying to teach and, and what we were trying to do. And I uh, just had a special group of kids and carried on over into the fall. And we, we hop out to a one and no record and, uh, getting ready to mm-hmm. go play Natchez in game two. And, uh, COVID hit, and we had to quarantine for two weeks, but came off of that, and, 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 you know, it's funny how things happen. I think that made us hungrier, because I remember that first day back, all of our kids were there. They were ready to go. I mean, they were excited to get started practicing that Monday, went out in Crystal Springs, and beat what I think was a pretty good team, 54-14, to 14, and uh, from there, just got on a roll, stayed on a roll, and... uh Great coaches, great assistant coaches, great players, and you know, I was just
0: happy to be along for the ride. <laughs> no, no doubt about it, coach. Uh coach, you mentioned, you know, hiring two uh new coordinators and and some of your uh players. Um tell the listeners maybe or introduce your staff if you want to talk about them and, and then after that maybe uh some of your uh players. Start off on the defensive side of the ball because that group
1: was a surprise to us. We thought we would be rebuilding on defense this year and uh had about six or seven new starters over there and Coach Gerard Malloy, who had been on our staff, we promoted him to defense coordinator and Gerard played for me at Mount Olive. He played football and baseball for me at Mount Olive and his parents were in education. His dad was a coach, his mom was an administrator and, and he's just a natural educator. And uh Gerard had had a lot of success. He was on the state championship staff. Hazel Hurst coordinated the defense down there to the state championship, then went to Riley and uh, had some really good teams there. They had a team that got to the South State Championship and scared Kemper County to death. And uh, just a natural move for, to move him up and make him our DC. And I mean, just, just an amazing job this year because, like I said, we thought we were going to be rebuilding on defense and it ended up being one of the strengths of our team. Uh offensive coordinator Caleb she felt, Uh Caleb's still in diapers. He's only 26 years old. He was 25 when we hired him. And to be honest with you, I was a little bit worried when I started interviewing a guy that I've been coaching longer and he's been alive. And uh <laughs> Caleb fell in love with her kids. Her kids fell in love with him and he just did an amazing job week to week putting our kids in positions to make plays and uh they went out and executed what we you know what we tried to do every week. <clears throat>
0: No doubt about it, Coach. Coach, you had um, some dynamic players this uh, past uh, season, and uh, maybe since the, you've been at McGee, uh, Chandler Pittman, Zay Franks. Uh, could you talk about those guys and maybe some of your other seniors uh, that that made their group special? Well, we were we were a young team with the exception of three or four guys. Uh, Chandler, uh,
1: he's the guy. He, he's the straw that stirs the drink for us. He's, he was a quarterback and. Chandler's a natural leader. Chandler's a young man that I tell people all day he'll be a he'll be a senator or governor or something one day. Uh, he's a natural leader. Kids follow him. Great speed, four three six forty, and he was a great athlete that turned into a great quarterback. You know, when we got here, he was a he was a runner, but he developed into a kid that could run or throw the football. And we're a balanced offense. When I say we're a balanced offense, I mean we do what we want to do. Uh, we don't let you dictate what we're going to do. When well, we need, we need to throw it thirty times. We throw it thirty. We need to run it thirty. We run it thirty. And Chandler had full command of our offense, and we put a lot on him. Uh, we run a good, you know, good bit of RPOs, and he has to make decisions pre-snap and uh, put a lot on him. And he did what we asked him. To. And then Xavier is a kid. When we got here, um, he and I had our personality conflicts. and I hated him some days, and he hated me more some days, and. Uh but we, we have a knack. I've been blessed. God God called me into education and and I, I'm patient with kids like Zay and Zay bought in and Zay's one of the best young men in our school, uh fully qualified, twenty on his ACT. But Zay thought he was going to the NBA when we got here and uh he <laughs> fell in love with football along the way and now he's got a full ride and, and gonna go be a you know, a great player for the University of Southern Mississippi in the next four years. No doubt in my mind. And Caden Bridges was our ex, X-Factor all year. Caden never left the field. Uh, played defense, played offense. us. was all over the place. We could bring him down in the box to stop the run. He could play safety and stop the pass. Uh, he's a very overlooked player in the state, in my opinion. He's qualified and he has really no offers from Division One program. Central Arkansas has offered and Alcorn has offered and the JUCOs have offered, but now in my opinion, Caden's a Power five kid that's, that's been overlooked a lot. And, uh, you know, he went to the North South all-star game this year and made plays all over the place. And, uh, some other seniors want to talk about Jordan McGee played outside linebacker and offensive tackle for us. Great young man, great player. Uh, probably one of the, you know, one of the best two way players in the state, three, a and under, uh, DJ Jones was was one of our starting guards. Uh, Tremendous player, uh, came out for football as an 11th grader. And we're like, why is he coming out? Well, then he starts two years for us at guard <laughs> and did a good job. And then our center, Preston Grimm. Preston moved in from uh, from Texas during his sophomore year and uh, became our starter his junior year and uh, just, just did a great job for us. And Preston's a high IQ kid. He's drawing interest from places like Millsaps and Bellhaven and he will have a chance to go further his career and, and further his education.
0: No doubt about it. Um, Again, listeners, you're listening to in your own words podcast. I'm Chris and Today, my guest is McGee high school head football coach and athletic director, longtime head football coach in the state of Mississippi, uh, coach Teddy dice Uh, coach dice. I don't know if you've answered this. I'm sure you have at some point, but um, now that I have you on the podcast, um, I know you're from the Pine Belt area. What was uh, one of the things that maybe attracted you to McGee High School when you, you uh, got that job?
1: To be honest with you, Chris, I've been in Philadelphia 11 years, and uh, that's an eternity in the coaching profession nowadays. And I needed to change. Philadelphia needed to change. We, we both needed to change. And we were preparing for Newton that year uh, – And I told this story today. We were preparing for Newton that year, and we had a Newton McGee film. And I'm watching the film, and I went, my God, (laughs) McGee's got players. If that job happens to come open the next year, I'm going to apply for it. And lo and behold, the job came open. Well, my best friend in the profession is Todd Mayhem. And Todd put in for the job, and I didn't put in out of respect for Todd. Circumstances worked out, and Todd called me and said, look, he said, I'm not going to take the McGee job. You need to apply Applied at the last minute and interviewed and lo and behold, we get the job and hit the ground running. Uh, yeah, I was commuting from Philadelphia my o c at the time was commuting, commuting from Harrison Central, so uh those first three or four months was crazy uh but we had a good group of kids that was hungry, they wanted discipline they wanted love they wanted success and and they bought in rather quickly and uh you know had a nine and four that first year and and You know, I thought that was really big to get the program off on the right foot and and, and, and on the right track and, you know, teaching kids the little things about pride and keeping the locker room clean or where to hang your helmet up and stuff like that. And we were able to establish those things in in the early part. And those things, in my opinion, are as important in winning big and winning state championships and district championships as anything because that's that's the discipline that's – it carries into life, but it also carries over on the field on Friday night in that fourteen to six game when you're playing Columbia in the South State Championship. If if those things come into play during those
0: times. Absolutely, Coach. Um and um for the listeners, uh coach, could you you wanted Madison uh Central uh as an assistant. Uh you want his head coach at Lumberton, Philadelphia, now McGee. Um what 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 do you, what would you say is a constant for uh, programs that have success and uh, compete for state championships? So what's one thing or two things that they all have in common? I played for Howard Willoughby at Bassfield High School and, and Coach Willoughby is somebody
1: that when I got into coaching, I always talked to and I got into it and I'd been into it three or four years. I said, Coach Willoughby, I want to be a head coach. What advice do you give me? And he said, don't ever go anywhere that hasn't won at some point. And uh, the thing about, and you understand this, Chris, you're from Tatersville, when you go to a place, they might be down at that time, but when you go to a place that has tradition and that has won at some point, those old hats hang on that fence and, and they come <laughs> to practice and they talk to those guys. and It just means more. It, it it just means more to those guys to to go out and be successful because they feel like, you know Chandler's uncle played quarterback on a state championship team here at McGee, so they feel like they got to carry on that legacy. You know, there, there's certain names and certain t- small towns in Mississippi that means that Taylorsville just won a state championship. I Keys, guess what? Keys has been a, a name that's been in Taylorsville, Riley, and Myers for years. That's right. So the tradition of those places, the expectations of those places, uh, in it's pressure, yeah, but it's a fun pressure. It's an enjoyable pressure because, you know, when, when you walk on that field at Jeff Davis County, you know you're supposed to get your teeth knocked out. Uh, when you walk on the field at West Point, you know you're going to get your teeth knocked out. And if you don't practice a certain way, you don't play a certain way, they're going to come to practice. They're going to get on your rear end. They're going to talk to you at church about, hey, you play for West Point. You play, you play this way. And so just going to somewhere that's won at some point, I think is the
0: big key. No doubt about it, Coach, and uh, I mean, you actually hit on some things I was I was going to uh, bring up and ask you about, uh, your influences and, you know, playing for Coach Willoughby um, at um, Bassfield High School, which is now, I guess you could say, Jeff Davis County, uh, and, and just the talent in that area. You know, uh, Coach, talk for the listeners that don't know, talk about maybe – I guess what makes uh, the Pine Belt area so uh, good when it comes to football, you got McGee, you got Taylorsville, you got Jeff Davis County, uh, Wes Jones just won. Um, That that area then, you know, it's just rich with talent. I think it's that there's
1: some of the most hard-nosed kids around in that area, and and that's not to take anything away from football in the metro area the coast or whatever, but kids in McGee, kids in Bassville, kids in Taylorsville, kids in Waynesboro, places like that, they still haul watermelons. Uh, they they still work in the field. I have players that miss workouts every summer because they're in a watermelon patch from sun up to sun down, and you know what? I don't mind them missing Mitch and it's quite that day because I, I know they've got a workout in. We're a rare team and that we're a spread team, but we're very, very physical. We'll knock your face mask off and I, I got a lot of pride in the fact the other day they came out to check our helmet for reconditioning. And uh, <laughs> the representative from the helmet company said, Coach, he said, Y'all must be really physical. I said, I ain't say that. He said, You got to replace 25 face masks. Wow. said, that' was me. Y'all are popping people. And so, you know, I, I when I, I decided to go to the spread office, one of the first people I talked to was Brad Peterson. I said, Brad, We've got to remain physical even though we're going to be spread. And he gave me a lot of ideas about how to set up practice and stuff. And, and we borrowed a lot of those ideas and we brought them in because so many spread teams get labeled as, as finesse. But now, you know, you watch Alabama right now and you watch Clemson right now and you watch Ohio State right now, they're spread. But now, they'll hurt your feelings in, in how they play the game. And that's the same way we are. We're going to get down. We're going to get dirty. We're going to put our hand in the dirt. And, we're going to get nasty. We, we don't mind bending your face, man. We're going to play physical
0: football. That's so true, Coach. Uh, and, you know, I remember even your teams at Lumberton, they were fast. But I always thought that we, when we played, man, Lumberton was just a physical team that could run and, and that, were, that was going to play very, very hard. Uh, what do you remember most maybe about uh, your tenure at Lumberton?
1: Most, the toughest kids I've ever coached, and I believe the toughest kids in the state of Mississippi, a uh, broke hand, a bloody nose, something like that. They're not coming out of the game. <laughs> My gosh, they're staying in there. That is the best place in the state of Mississippi to coach football on Friday nights. I, I still believe that to this day because the game never gets too rough for those kids. They love it. And go out there and try to have a walkthrough on Thursday. They'll be out about fight you for it because they think you ought to hit every single day <laughs> in practice. Uh, you know, the st- last state championship we won in two thousand five, we didn't have a kid on defense over two hundred pounds. But we, all, I only had one kid, and that was our nose guard that ran over a five flat forty. So uh, just fast, tough, physical kids. And you know, one thing I always brag on about that Lumberton group, a bunch of good kids because. We were a B-rated school at that, at that time, and, you know, if you look at Lumberton, you look at the town, you look at the people, you know, it's stereotypical, you would say they can't be a B-rated school, but they were good kids, and they bought in academically and athletically,
0: and a lot of those, yeah, a lot of those young men are successful now. No doubt about it, Coach. Um, and, Coach, I remember uh, playing against some great guys, uh, Rashad, uh, Henry, uh, Terry Grant, Uh, uh, several holders, uh, I'm sure, in that area. Uh, And and I'm going to say this, and you can respond how you want to. I remember, uh, I guess it was a playoff game. We were playing you guys, and you had a quarterback. um, I believe his last name was Goins. DeMond Goins. DeMond Goins. Athletic. I think he had signed with Marshall or something like that. Correct. That's right. And the week we were about to play – he got shot or he got injured in his leg. He got shot in the leg, yeah. And we thought for sure, you know, he wasn't gonna play and sure enough He played you know, Friday night. <laughs> he he came out there, he was suited up, he had a leg wrapped up and I, I I mean, I was so impressed by that. He didn't play much, but just for him to dress out and be out there with his team and then go in and I think he maybe uh had a play or two uh towards the end of the half, I, I thought that was incredible.
1: Yeah, that, that was amazing to me that, you know, I get the phone call on Sunday night. Hey, Coach DeMond's been shot. And, you know, my first response is, is he okay? Oh, yeah, he's on the gurney. He's talking to everybody, Coach. And So, they go in, and the bullet's in the quad, and they say, all right, we can't do surgery on it. And, yeah. You know, DeMond says, Coach, I'm playing in front of me. I said, son, there's no way you can play. And, by gosh, by third, he's able to do through, and he wrapped that thing up. And, like, right at the end of the half or something, we needed a Hail Mary, and we put him in, and he threw the thing. And I think he ended up making the tackles. He threw a pick. But, um, yep, yep. yeah, that goes back to what I was talking about earlier. That goes back to the, toughness of the lumber of the Lumberton kids because I don't know of anybody else in the world that would have played five days after getting shot in the leg <laughs> you know, and having that bullet lost in the leg.
0: I, I haven't. Met that. I haven't seen a player play uh, since then. You know that, that had a gunshot wound. So uh, you know he he was certainly uh, very tough. So coach, uh, I remember. Let's let's say you know with Lumberton, you win your first state championship. Um, I guess it was 2004. Uh, seminary during that time was probably the favorite. Uh, they had a great team coming back. And I remember you guys beat them over at their place and did it. And just, I mean, y'all beat them, you know, handedly. What do you remember about that game and, and maybe just that season? We uh we played McLaurin in the second
1: round of the playoffs. And I'll be honest with you, McLaurin scared me to death. And we beat them that Friday night. And I'll never forget, I'm talking with the team after the game, as we always do, and when I finish up, Terry Grant says, Coach, can I say something to the team? And I said, yeah. And he said, guys, you have your butts focused when you come to practice Monday. you be focused all week. We've lost two in a row to seminary. We will not lose to Friday night. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in practice, I've never been around a more focused team. And Friday night, it's one of the scariest moments I've ever had as a coach. I, I still drive the bus to the game to this day. It's the only way I can calm my nerves. <laughs> I'm sitting fixing the cross 49 at 589 at the and Seminary, and I look back in the bus and in the mirror of the bus, and every how many young men's on that bus, their eyes are piercing straight ahead, and I went, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. And uh, a longtime coach was the principal at seminary. At that time, he had won a state championship here at McGee, and uh, he, t- he tells me this story. He said when he got off the bus, he said when our kids got off the bus, he greeted us. He said he we went out to the stadium and somebody said, well, how do they look? And he said he told us that we're in trouble. He said, I've never seen a team as ready to play as they are tonight. And we wore them out 26 to nothing, and 26 to nothing didn't do it justice. And, you know, that was a great, great, great seminary football team. A lot of kids returning from the O three 3 state championship team, and, yeah, we just wore their rear ends out that night. And, and uh, I joke with Coach Jonathan Ladner, he's the defense coordinator at Lumberton now, we put in the rocket toss; We're the ones that invented the rocket toss, and we don't get credit for it because we got an empty set. We're bringing Terry Grant in motion and tossing it to him just to get him to the perimeter a little bit quicker. We, we came up with something before Georgia Tech Navy and we're running it and didn't even know what we were doing. So.
0: <laughs> and nobody could catch him. No, <laughs> so I'm sure. I'm sure that was a, 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 I, I know that was a great night. I remember that week, um, and so you know, seminary was riding high during that time, and uh, you guys knocked them off that high horse. And um, and then the following year, you won it again. Um, I, I think was it the second year you won it on the last second.
1: No, it was the first year we won it on the last second. The okay. second year we were real dominant. We we uh we actually didn't have a close game. We beat Taylorsville twenty eight to twenty in the second round, but it was twenty eight to six, and some weird stuff happened late. Uh, that the 05 team was, you know, you can argue there's five or six teams. But you can they're arguably one of the best two A teams in the history of Mississippi football. Uh, you know, and you got a JDC team, and there you got a Calhoun City team, and then there's a Taylorville team, and there's four, or five that you can argue, but they're arguably, they're for sure one of the top five 2A teams of all time,
0: no doubt about it. Again, listeners, you're listening to In Your Own Words. Um, I'm Chris Dickpin today. My guest is McGee High School head football coach and athletic director, Coach Teddy Dice. Uh, coach, uh, you you grew up and you played football. Um, in Bassfield for a legendary high school coach. Uh, What do you remember about, you know, maybe your time in high school and and just, you know, seeing football in a small town, winning big, you know, even at a young age? You know, it's funny.
1: You even asked that question at the North-South game. Last Saturday, Dwayne Thompson, Robert Baker, two of my high school classmates and teammates were there, and we actually had that conversation. We talked about how when we were in the third grade, Bassfield finished second in the Old Apache Conference, and then in the next year we were in the fourth grade, and they won the Pine Belt Conference. And we started talking right then in the fourth grade about, hey, we're going to win the Pine Belt Conference. Well, Little we know in 1981, they were going to come up with something called the state championship, and our group, you know, was a part of back-to-back state championships. And, and uh, so, even at an early age, third, fourth, fifth grade, we talked about playing at Bassfield. Wearing the black and gold. And we were all Pittsburgh Steelers fans, and we all wanted the Pittsburgh Steelers pants. And Coach Willoughby wouldn't buy us Pittsburgh Steelers pants. And I'll be dad gum a year two after we graduated. He bought Steelers pants. I still, Coach, <laughs> Coach Willoughby's dead and in heaven now. And I'm still mad at him about that because we had to wear those old ugly white pants every Friday night. But uh, it just, it meant something to play at basketball. You know, I remember the first time I went into a high school game, we were playing at West Marion and I remember coming on the field the first time at Bassfield and going off the last time at Bassfield. And I mean, just a special, special, special place. And, uh, you know, just you, you look at since about 1975, some of the best football in the state's been played right there in that small town. And, you know, you start talking about the Myers and the boos and some of those last names been some great ones come through there. I mean, my God, they're, they're a 3A school and they got three NFL players right now. So, yeah, you stop and think about that that population with three NFL, current NFL players, it's just amazing. And uh, just great talent and great coaching, but also great expectations from the community.
0: That's certainly true, coach. Coach, let's segue. Um, uh, at, at what point or, or why did you decide to get in coaching? Was that something that you think maybe chose you, or, or did you know at a very early age?
1: I, I truly believe I was called by God. To go uh, I was in the eighth grade, and uh, you know, we, we were practicing football at Bassfield, and we hired a new coach, Coach Ladbrew, and he came in, and he took a liking to me. I took a liking to him. He was in my wedding. My son is named after him now, and uh, I said, hey, this guy makes a difference in young people's lives. I want to be able to do this one day. And and from the eighth grade on, I started studying coaches. And, and I started studying Jack Craft and and uh, Coach Breland at Oak Grove and people like that. Why are they successful? So I started studying high school coaches at a real early age and, you know, what made them successful and stuff. And my senior year of high school, you know, we didn't have all the AP courses and all the bullshit they make kids take. Today I had to take English four my high school, my senior year of high school. And I was actually assistant football coach for the seventh grade, assistant football coach for the eighth grade, assistant for the ninth grade. And then after I graduated that spring training, I coached the offensive line from, for the high school. So I started at an early age uh, prepping myself to, 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 to try to become a coach. And, you know, th- there's no doubt in my mind that, that I'm doing what God wants me to do. And I've had a lot of people say, have you ever thought about coaching at Juco or college? Never. I'm supposed to be a high school coach. That's what I was called to do. You know, God called me to do that, and and I love it. I'm
0: happy doing it. No doubt about it, Coach. Um, And and, and when you said, you know, you you get a chance to, you know, impact young people, um, that that's a great feeling. I think Uh, my my career has only been eleven years, but I, you know, thinking back on the many uh, people I've met and places I've been, it's it's incredible.
1: Well, you know, I had a young man, Javon Pickens, who played in the state championship. Javon played for me at Philadelphia. He was a senior linebacker my last year there, and he sends me a text. And, hey, Coach, just want to let you know I'm out here working on this tugboat. I think about you every day. Lessons you taught us in the weight room I we don't feel like I use them every day, and I'm successful because of high school football. That's what it's about because, you know, Chris, all of these kids that we're coaching and teaching, they're going to be somebody's neighbor one day. And you want them to be great neighbors, you know. Being a great football player, hey, you got Chandler Pittman that runs a four three six. He's going to be a great player. But we've also got a five seven hundred ninety pound defensive lineman that's going to be somebody's neighbor one day. And him being a great neighbor is important. This Chandler being a great neighbor, and, and that's what we're supposed to teach him to do in the, in in the high school profession. No
0: doubt about it, Coach. Um, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly with that. Um, Coach, when you started your coaching career off, you have had um, several different stops. Uh, What do you remember maybe about your time at Madison Central? And I believe uh, Coach Mike Justice was the head coach then. Yeah. uh, When I got
1: there, I was very intimidated, you know, coming from Nashville, being a small school guy my whole career. And he hired me. He said, you're going to be my offensive line coach. And I'm like, Oh, my God. So, the first thing I do is start buying books and going and talk with other high school offensive line coaches about how to coach offensive line. And Coach Justice, you'd have to know Coach Justice. And, and, and the, the listeners that know him will know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, first time I met with him, I said, what do we do on offense? And he said, well, by God, we play 5A football, and you dang sure don't block down and kick out in this league and they'll hurt your feelings. I said, okay. <laughs> so, you're his own guy. So, he was trying to make it sound like he was fancy. Well, we opened up the season with Louisville. And Louisville was bringing 9, 10, 11, 12, 14, 15 players on blitzes every play. And we're watching film. I said, Coach, how did we block that? And he said, hell, we're going to block it all down and kick the last one out. And I went, <laughs> I didn't think we did that in 5A. we're going to do it every week. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it ended up being a very simple philosophy. But the thing I learned from Coach Justice in our program – at Lumberton, at Philadelphia, at McGee is probably more copied after Madison Central than anywhere else. Number one, Coach Justice makes every player feel important. And we had 100 the team at Madison Central. Number 100 felt just as important as number one did. So he had a way of making those players and those people in the community feel like they were important. They were part of it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I learned how to, how, to, how to make people feel important from him, how to treat people, how to love people. And when I say love people, not a lot of people know that about Coach Justice because he rips and cusses, and we know, we know he is what he is, but he's, he has one of the biggest hearts of any man I've ever been around in my life. And uh, the number two thing is repetition. And he used to say if you're going to run wishbone, you run wishbone all day, every day in practice. You're off-season everything you do centered around wishbone. If you're going to throw it 60 times a game, your off season, everything you do has got to be centered around throwing it 60 times a game. And we've even taken that philosophy now into the weight room. We try to be a fast-paced team, and when we switch from one man to another, we have a countdown clock, and if he's not under the weight, ready to squat or bench or whatever, there's consequences for that. If we want to play fast, everything we got to do during the off season, summer, and the rest of the time has got to be fast. So, uh, repetition, you know, how to treat people and, and getting kids of me and reps are the two things that that I carry, you know, I've carried into our programs where we've been that I've really learned from Coach Justice. That's a great story.
0: And uh, he, he certainly had a lot of success as a head coach. Um, I, I remember, uh, I, I guess towards the end of his career, he was head coach at Gulfport. But he, he was. He was head coach at Calhoun City, uh, Madison Central, Louisville. Uh, he's, he's had several stops in Mississippi. Very successful in all of them. And
1: now a really good golfer. If you know anything about Coach Justice, he's competitive. Good gosh, he's competitive. And uh, he's one of the best senior golfers in the state. And he's about to turn 70. He'll be like a grand senior or something like that. And wherever he does that, he may win him a state championship in golf if he don't get there and choke like he's done a couple of other times. <laughs> hey, but
0: it's good he's still competing, though.
1: Oh, yeah. He'll he'll compete to the, the, the day the good Lord
0: takes him home because he's the
1: He's the ultimate competitor,
0: no doubt about it. Uh, so, Coach, um, you know you've, you've you've had a lot of success. Um, I don't know if anyone has ever asked you this. You know, and you you mentioned that you were called to be a high school uh, football coach. Have there ever been any big high school jobs uh, that you came close to or you thought about taking um, at, at some point in your career?
1: My, uh, after our second state championship at Lumberton, uh, I had a chance to go to Meridian and Hattiesburg and for whatever reason, got cold feet and didn't go. And, uh, you know, do I have any regrets about that? No, I don't. Uh, I've always thought I was where I was supposed to be when I was supposed to be there. But yeah, I I did, I did have those opportunities at Hattiesburg and Meridian and, you know, when I like to coach 5A or 6A football and and line up and play against the best, yeah. And if it's God's will, I'll do it one day because I'm 52, but I don't feel like I'm an old man at 52. But if not, you know, I'll coach at Lumberton and Philadelphia and McGee the rest of my career. And and I'll die and be just as happy as I can be doing that because I I love, I'm from Bassville. I love the small school, the small school atmosphere. I love coaching small school football and, you know, when we played this year the state championship at McGee, when we got in the field house that morning. Streets lined up with people. I come out for pregame, and the whole McGee side's you know just covered in red. I mean, people everywhere? And then coming back, the fire department closed the street down. And <laughs> yeah, you know, those kinds of things that you get in a place like McGee. That, and I'm not being critical when I say this, but I'm not sure. You would get that at, say, Olive Branch or or Biloxi or somewhere like that because they have so many other activities. They have so many things, so much entertainment that can take away from it. In McGee, Mississippi, you got football. And when football season's over, you got baseball. When baseball season's over, you
0: got football again. So it's pretty well served. around football and (laughs) baseball. Right, and 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 we used to have a. Uh, my uncle used to tell the joke that um, if if you wanted to rob a bank in Taylorsville, uh, you would do it on a Friday night because um, odds are most people would have been at the football game. So I certainly understand that.
1: Well, we're we're opening the season with Taylorsville next year, so if anybody wants to rob banks, I
0: guarantee <laughs> you
1: rob them in the game Taylorsville because everybody <laughs> in Smith and Simpson County would be at that game.
0: That's, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. So coach, uh, what you, you having such a successful career, um, you know, I kind of know now, but maybe if you could speak towards, um, the importance of having, you know, administration that understands the importance of not just, you know, football, but athletics in the whole grand scheme of, you know, the school operation, talk about that. So, Well, Chris, you've touched on a tough subject for me Uh, because the thing
1: is, when you've been at 29 years like I have, you have seen it change drastically from an administrative standpoint, and and there's a lot of administrators now that's one track mind, and all they can see is an English score, they can see a math score, they can see a social studies score, but they can't see that kid going on and being a successful welder or successful plumber or whatever, and... This is a soapbox for me, but at one time when I went to school, and probably even when you went to school, schools were educational institutions. They taught people how to function in everyday life. They taught kids how to tie a tie. They taught people how to interview. They taught people to open a door for a lady when she starts in. Now schools have become testing centers. And every dumb thing you do is geared around passing a gosh dang state test. And let me tell you something, a state test doesn't define anybody a state test that shouldn't define schools, and it's just a cop-out for people to use. And there's more and more administrators, whether it be because of pressure or just whether it be because they don't have the backbone to stand up, but they're cutting athletics, they're cutting fine arts, and whatever they do that, they're cutting their feet out one of themselves because guess what? 97% of high school dropouts don't participate in anything. So for that reason alone, you need to have a strong band and choral and football and basketball and baseball program Because those are the things that's going to make a difference. Those are the things that's going to make life lessons, teach kids life lessons. And these administrators better understand this because if they don't understand it, you're going to continue to see the Hartfield academies of the world gain kids from public schools. And it's going to really hurt public schools in Mississippi because parents are going to take their kids where they can get the best education. And I'm not talking about academically. I'm talking about how to live life every day. And and you're going to see more and more kids transfer out of public schools and go to private schools where the state tests and stuff don't happen and they don't define children. I
0: I agree with you on that, Coach. Um, And I I think you articulated that point well. Um, and, And I feel that way. I've seen it happen. But every school that has success, whether it's academics and athletics, for the most part, there's, there's sort of like a perfect balance between the two. Um, well, they go hand in hand,
1: and, and great administrators understand that because I'm going to tell you something. The first thing the community sees representing the school each year is the football team and the band. That's true. If that football team comes out, and they're knocking snot bubbles out of people's mouth, and that band comes out, and they're marching, and they're ripping, and they're going, and they're loud, and they look good, by gosh, you're gonna have a good school year. <laughs> you know, and and that's just that's the way it is. That that sets the tone and is that right, wrong, good, bad, or indifferent? I don't know, but that, that's that's the way it is.
0: That's true. Um I, I was able to um spend three years in Madison County at Ridgely High School, and I tell anybody that was the best school district I've been in, uh, from an administration standpoint where they they get it, you know, and I remember the outgoing superintendent, uh, I think his name was Dr. McGee. It was. One of of the things he did for all the high schools was that the two athletic buses that were on the high school campuses, he had them get a custom wrap done Mm -hmm. with their school logo and colors. And so every time the football team left or the basketball team, the baseball team, uh the you know the band even sometime every time they took a trip around the area, you know, people it was all it was all, it was like brandon for the school and I thought that was such a great idea. Well you, you know even now, I mean Balma Jackson's in our district in basketball,
1: you know when Balma Jackson pulls up to play to play you in basketball. Number one, they play basketball. <laughs> they right really and Coach Yule has, has done a good job of hiring great coaches and and, and they have a, you know a great group of kids there. But you know, Velma Jackson's and McGee, they're here for a basketball game tonight, or they're here for a football game, or whatever. And, and you know, when you go when you go to Madison, when Mary Hawkins Butler was elected mayor there a hundred years ago, and they started merging Flora and Madison schools from the start. Mike Kent and Mike Justice and those guys on the front end said, "We're going to be great in academics. We're going to be great in the arts, and we're going to be great in sports." And by gosh, they've done that. And that was their vision from the beginning. And they have not,
0: they have not left that vision.
1: Uh, Madison County schools are still great in all
0: three areas. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And I know all school districts can't do that from you know, from a financial standpoint, but, uh, they certainly get it there. And, um, you know, I'm for all the kids uh, because they're student athletes. Coach, I saw something on Twitter um, a few weeks ago, and, it, and, and you mentioned 97% of all the kids that drop out don't participate in anything. And it was a stat that said, you know, most of the kids that have discipline issues that are absent um, mm-hmm. you know, don't succeed academically. They don't participate in any extracurricular activity. So there's some data behind that. And, 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 you know,
1: and what's sad is, and and I'm not going to say the school or the district, but I, I will say this in the metro area, they have as many athletes as Brandon. They have as many athletes as Pearl. They have as many athletes as Oak Grove. But they have never allowed their kids to be on even footing. And because of that, they've struggled to have the success of Brandon. Brandon's players are no different than that school's players. But because they're not on even footing as far as facilities and a number of assistant coaches and feeder programs and stuff, they have struggled to have that success. And until that district sees that and gets that vision, that school is going to continue to struggle. And it shouldn't be struggling. It really should not because their kids deserve better than what they're getting.
0: Absolutely. Again, listeners, uh, you're listening to In Your Own Words podcast. Today, my guest is McGee High School head football coach and athletic director uh, Coach Terry Dice. Coach Dice has been a head coach at uh, Lumberton High School, uh, Philadelphia High School, and currently he's at McGee High School in McGee, Mississippi. Uh, Coach, you have something uh, on your Twitter uh, that you hashtag sometime, and I've been reading uh, Randy Jackson, Coach Randy Jackson in Texas books, but uh, you have the uh, the TPW, you hashtag that sometime. Could you talk about that and maybe explain uh, what that is?
1: It's tough people win.
0: Uh, my wife bought me Randy Jackson's book. I, I, went, I went into major depression
1: in 2015-16. And uh, as, as I started coming out of that, de- that depressed mindset or whatever, I started reading a lot. And, and she bought me that book. And it changed my philosophy a lot of how I do things day to day. Uh, she says it's made me soft. Uh, She said I'm not as hard-headed and as crazy as I used to be, and I take more stuff from people. I don't know if that's true or not. It depends on who you talk to. But tough people win. That's something I stole from Randy Jackson's book. And and when you talk about toughness, are you talking about getting punched in the nose and being able to fight through the stuff? Yes, you are. But the next thing that tough people can do is they're disciplined to do the right thing every day, to be able to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and be at work by 7 o'clock. You know, to understand, you got to provide for your family, and, and so it, it carries on more than just physical toughness. It's a mental toughness thing. It's a mindset, and and, and it's it's my motto for life. And my kids have learned that here at McGee. Uh, I truly believe in the in the in the hashtag TPW: Tough People Win, and, and you know, that's that's how I pattern my life. And because let's face it, there's a lot of days that you're going to wake up and. You're gonna go. Good God! I don't feel like going to church today. Preacher's gonna preach for an hour and ten minutes, and I don't want to listen to him. But tough people learn to get up. You know, there's gonna be days where you only eat seven slices of pizza, but you know if you do that, it's gonna run your blood pressure up. So you better get you a salad instead. And tough people learn how to do those things. And then the second thing we did when I got to to McGee, we have a, a wristband that I wear, and it says hashtag family, and that's forget about me, I love you. And one of our goals has been to get our kids where they can say I love you. And we don't mind telling our players. We don't mind telling our wife or whoever I love you because we as a society have become so divided among – I get so gosh dang tired of hearing the Republicans won't vote for this the Democrats won't vote for this. It comes down to one thing, Chris, it's love. We don't love each other anymore. We want to get divided and get split up over stuff. That really don't matter. If we truly love each other, we don't care if we're Democrat or Republican. We don't care if we're from Honduras or Mexico or, or Taylorsville, Mississippi, wherever. We're people. We love each other, and we get where we love each other again. We'll start seeing progress in this country, in this state, in our communities again. Uh, but you know, family, forget about me. I love you, and tough people. Those are the two things that that for the last five to six years I've tried to I've tried to live my life by.
0: No doubt about it, Coach, and and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, I, I I read the uh, the first book, uh, Culture Defeat Strategy, and uh, he talks about that and goes in depth. And so, Coach, uh, when when you said you know, you know, in those small towns, sometimes you know that happens. I could remember uh, growing up as a youngster you know, rooting for the teams, going to school. We didn't care about any of that. We just wanted to win. We wanted to play football. And, um, you know, football and athletics and, I guess, school, it's, it's almost like a big social experiment. Um, but, hey, I love it. Um, and so how do you think uh, athletics or football in general could, could really change a place of bring people together?
1: You know, when you get out there on that football field and you start sweating and you get your hand down in that dirt and you start getting it, and you start bleeding, you don't look to your guy on your left and your right. You don't check see if it's white or black. You don't ask him how he voted. You know, did he vote for the stimulus check or not? You don't care. As long as he's got your back he's got your front and he's willing to get out and dirty and, and, and fight for you, you know, that's all that matters. And, and, and that's, you know, that, that's where it comes into play. You learn so much, you learn so much teamwork and discipline and dedication and love for each other. And and, and I use this example all the time. And uh, if you know anything about me, I'm the most anti racist person on earth. And it pisses me off that racism is taught. Because, you know, when that baby's born and that nurse comes in there to take care of him that first time, he doesn't look at her and go, oh, she's not white or she's not black or she's not whatever. They don't care. They just want to be took care of. But over time, we teach that. Well, guess what? When you get on that football field in Taylorsville, Mississippi, and it's 105 degrees, and you're playing quarterback, you don't care what color that left guard is or right guard is. You don't care how much money his mom and daddy makes. You just care that he's got your front and he's got your back and he's going to play his butt off for you. Because what it comes down to is love for that brother sitting to your left and your right or in front of you, behind you. And, you know, we, we, we get society, and I think with social media and all, we get so hung up on finding ways to divide each other. And, you know, on all of our money, it says one nation under God, and we need to come back and be one nation under God. And that's it, – it happens on the football field. Uh, you know, our, our, our team chaplain, Dr. Bernard Mitchell, he and I were talking a while back, and he said, Coach, said, you know, you're probably the first white man to ever tell these young black men that you love them. He said, they, they probably never heard that before. And we've got to get back to that in the United States. And we've got to start pulling back together. We've got to start back loving each other. Because if not, our, our country's in trouble if we don't go back to those things. And it begins in the high school locker rooms. Uh, Tony Hughes, one of the greatest coaches in the history of Mississippi football. He's in Mississippi State right now. He told me a couple of years ago, he said, Teddy, there's two places this one's still being taught. United States military and high school locker rooms. When we lose it at them two places, I don't know where we're going. So wow. we, we as coaches, you, me, other coaches, we've got to continue to teach that. We got to hope our military continues to teach that, because that that may be the last two places that this country's got hope in is the high school locker
0: room and the United States military. Absolutely, coach. Again, listeners, you're listening to In Your Own Words podcast. I'm Chris Dick and today my guest. Is McGee High School head football coach and athletic director, Coach Teddy Dice. Um, coach, let's segue. Um, you probably could remember a time when access to football information was hard. You had to maybe travel uh, <laughs> and go to clinics. Now we have Zoom, we have Twitter. We could, you know, we got instant and constant communication. Could you kind of talk about or reflect back on those times, how it was then, and, and bring it to today? Well, first of all, I'm still in person, yeah. I still
1: like going to clinics. Uh, I still like going, sitting down one-on-one and learning. You know, and, and I'm not talking about anybody when I say this. So don't say what Katie's being critical about. It's one thing I'm excited about, Will Hall being hired at Southern Miss. One of the things he said is, their office is gonna be open twenty four hours a day, seven days a week for high school coaches coming in and talk ball. So I love that. Now having said that, uh I need an IEP and you know what that is whenever it comes to technology. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I have gotten to the point that if I want to run a fake punt, I can go in there and, and put in Google Texas fake punt versus Colorado and I can see how they block it and stuff like that. And You know, the the old days of waking up on Saturday morning at 5.30 and driving to wards and seminary to meet the coach for my (laughs) trade film and stuff. Those were some good old days, but I'll be honest with you, you it's so easy for me to go up to my school and go to that computer and click on Huddle and just sit there and watch that film and you don't have to trade it. The only thing that aggravates me is is we all, hey, coach, what you going to do trade two films? Yep. Why don't we just trade all 11, 15, 12? Because the first thing we're going to do is, oh my God, we need that pearl film, I and mean, we're going to go get the pearl film. We're going yep. to get this film. We're going to go. And, and the next thing that aggravates me is we've been in the wing T district the last two years. If we'll get <laughs> two, we'll get films with two wing T teams, and I got to find somebody to run spreads that they're going to line up. So
0: yeah,
1: yeah, I think it'd be a whole lot easier. If we just be honest and say, hey, coach, I need your film on this game and this game, but. Yet and still, it it's made it so much easier to access. So, you know, there were there were game there were teams this year. We had 10, 11 films on, and these young coaches think you got to watch ten or eleven. I think you got to watch the last two. And once I got past that, I got trying to try and do too much stuff. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, when I started, and um, I, my first season was two thousand and ten at North Forest with Coach uh, Matt Caldwell, and. We were still we, we weren't using VHS tapes then, uh, but we were still using DVDs, and I think that may have been the last season we used DVDs. And you know, he would talk about going to trade film, and now, so for instance, when you guys played Hollandale Simmons in the state championship, where where did y'all meet? Uh, you know, to trade film.
1: I don't remember the Hollandale film trade, uh, but I do know when we played Booneville in the state championship, me and Coach Norman Johnston drove to Scuba. Wow. We met coach Jim Drury uh, from Boonville at Scuba at the Chevron Station in, in Scuba. Uh, but now, for some reason, I don't remember where we met. With, to, to, I think we met in Jackson, Trayville, Highlandale. Because uh, Ryan Ford, who played for me in high school, was the head coach at Highlandale at the time. And I, I think we met at Richland or Florence or somewhere like that. But I do know we met in Scuba uh, on the Boonville film trade. Wow, crazy, crazy was really days. crazy was you had some coaches, Stan McCain, always wanted to trade on Friday night. Uh, wow. So, <laughs> you know, I left Philadelphia at 11, 30, 12 o'clock, had the go to trade with him on Friday night. And uh, funny story about that. Zach Jones, he's one of my best friends. He's head coach at Lumberton. We're going to trade one Friday night with Coach McCain. We leave Philadelphia about midnight because one or the other was on the road. We get to film, you know, formatted in the DVD or whatever. And there's two sets of tracks in Philadelphia. We cross one of the tracks. The light's not going off or anything. And when we hit the track, the light is beaming in our window <laughs> from the train. Oh, wow. And I, I remember grabbing one going, Oh my God. Well, the train was backed up in one of the, the places and it was loading, but it scared me to death. <laughs> I, I thought they got killed trading film get <laughs> my train in Philadelphia. But uh, th- th- those, those were some fun times, some good times. And I think I was the next to the last coach in the state to uh, switch to huddle. Stan became, he was at West Lauderdale. He finally said, I ain't trading with you anymore if you don't get it. And then, a year or two later, around 12 or 13, Wilkinson County was still trading DVDs because Coach Brown just wouldn't switch to Hubble. I remember having a drive from Philadelphia to Crystal Springs to meet with him. And then you'd have to know Coach Brown. is one of the nicest people on earth. He gave us a film of a church service one year. <laughs> you, you, you'd get some interesting stuff on film sometimes. It was oh, not intentional. It was not on purpose. He just messed up and gave us the raw film. Oh,
0: so. <laughs> wow. Wow, those, those are great stories, Coach, man. And uh, I, I knew you would have some, uh, you know, spanning your career, you know, if, if you could reflect back and you wanted to share those with us. But uh, uh, those those are great stories. So, Coach, um, you know, you're still having a lot of success. Uh, I'm assuming you feel well and you can continue to coach. Uh, how how much longer you see yourself coaching?
1: My son's going to be a senior next year. So uh, I I know I want to coach him through his senior year. And then from there, it's just going to be wherever God leads. You know, uh, at some point financially, I'll have to retire and either go private school or go out of state uh, just to, you know, double dip and start getting, you know, get that 13th check and stuff started. But now I'm 52. Uh, I've lost about 35 pounds this year. I feel really, really good. Um, uh, Nick saving 69, <laughs> and that uh, to me like he's lost a step. So, right. You know, next year could be my last year, depending on how crazy administrators are. I could go another 15 years. Uh, it just depends on how how long God wants to use us and how long administrators wants to use us. You know, sometimes it becomes a whole lot more popular to hire a young up and coming coordinator than it does an established head coaching. I understand that I get it, and, and I do think that some coaches overstay their welcome and stay too long, and uh, I and I hope I don't do it. I hope somebody will be honest enough with me, and I'm married to the most honest woman on earth, and tell me, hey, Teddy, you need to hang it up. You need to get out. And, you know, and I hope I know when it's time to get out, but now uh, I'll be back next year in some form or another, and I'll be coaching somewhere next year. So one more year for sure, but I'd like to think another, another 10 or 11 or so. Okay. All right.
0: No doubt. Now, Coach, um, you you mentioned your your wife, and uh, you know, what advice would you give young coaches? Whether I mean, it could, it doesn't have to be football coaches, but you know, if you're coaching football, it requires a lot of time. I coach basketball in my career, and you go into it three nights a week. What advice, relationship advice, you can give uh, maybe a, a young coach about uh, entering the profession? You know learn all you can find out as much,
1: find you some older people. And when I say older people, they may not be four or five years older than you. Find you some older people and be willing to listen. And with technology being what it is, don't be afraid to go to Zoom, go to clinics and stuff and, and try to pick stuff up because you never know when you get in that playoff game or whatever you know, when you're going to need an advantage and something that you've picked up in a Zoom meeting. You know, we've got Ray-Ray Pickering, who's been a high school coach, Mississippi just went to the college level. Lean on guys like that. Call those guys up. Uh, let those guys help you out. And, you know, if I give one piece of advice for young coaches, love the kids. And when I say love, I'm not talking about your players. Love the kids. Love that uh, – that average kid that comes to school every day Lo- love that sped kid that comes to school every day you know you'll be surprised what a five dollar card to sonic or mcdonald's or something to do for some of those kids because so many of our kids from 7 30 to 3 30 every day is the best time of their life they don't get to eat whatever they're not in school and you know when we were out of school with covid that's what's here the minute this our kids not getting breakfast to lunch and stuff and then uh, keep your priorities straight you know, I always keep God first. I had not always done that. Um, I always put your family next. I haven't always done that. And, and You know, I'm married way better than I should have. I married my hero. Uh, she's one of the hardest working people on earth. She keeps stats for me on Friday night. She does scrapbooks for the kids. She's our attendance clerk at school. We go to a basketball game Saturday at Bay Springs, and about 15 basketball players, boys and girls, come and hug her. They call her Mama Dice. Um, huh, so she, okay. has, she has that love for kids, uh, you know, the same way I do. And the thing about it is she's taught from – been an assistant teacher from first grade all the way through. So she's dealt with all age groups and worked in a lot of different areas in school. And then marry a woman and understands, you know, you want to go cover a basketball game at Bay Springs on Saturday. and You know, th- there's a, you're going to have kids that have spend the night with you. want to take them to the doctor and stuff. and you know, you got to have a wife that understands the time constraints. We're on Christmas break right now. I've spent my last two days interviewing band directors. Uh, those are the things that they don't tell you that's not in the book or anything like that. And then I've had the privilege and honor of coaching my son the last two years. Uh, and I don't know if he would agree or not, but most special win in my career is when we won the state championship against Knoxville. I got to share that with him. But – You still want to treat your kid as your kid. And, you know, don't ever forget that. And I will say this. Thomas gets butt-chewings at practice when nobody else does because I know he can take a Uh, (laughs) butt-chewing. Somebody will drop a pass and he may get hollered at because I know he can handle it where that other kid may cry. And he understands that as well. So, (laughs) Uh, But now I will tell you this. I have really, really, really enjoyed coaching him. I've really enjoyed watching him. And uh, really proud of him because, you know, not only is he a great great player, he's a great student, he's a 26ACP, and uh, got the Scholar Athlete this year. and uh, He's one of the few kids that I know this year was our backup quarterback, he was our starting slot, he was our long snapper for punt, he kicked off for us, he held for extra points. And was a backup defensive
0: lineman. So, <laughs> wow, <laughs>
1: true, true coaches. He had gone up the slot, and then go out there and play defensive line all at the same time. So. <laughs>
0: his, his position was slash, <laughs> yeah, slash Where, wherever we need you at, you go do it. <laughs> okay, that's that's real good. Um, listen, coach, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I appreciate you being flexible with me and your time. Um, I knew you would have an incredible story, you could tell us some some give us some good advice. Um as, as some of my kids say that's free game. So you gave us a lot yes. of free game on uh in your own words podcast. And uh you certainly had a great career. And and I remember, you know, competing against your teams as a player. And I always thought they were tough and hard-nosed and they played with passion. And uh, and you guys what what you were able to do at McGee uh the past three years, um I'm sure that community in that town uh, is really uh, buzzing and, and supporting you guys like McGee of the past. So it, it is. And we moved into a new field house in September, and that's really nice.
1: And one thing I want to say, Chris, before we end this, because people did this for me. Now that I'm an old coach, any young coaches out there that want to sit down and talk ball or want to sit down and talk dealing with kids or whatever, I'm an open book. Send me a text, send me an email. Let me know because I feel like I owe it to the young coaches to sit down and talk with them and help them because the David Virgils of the world, the Mike Justice of the world, the Bobby Halls of the world, those people helped me. And I'll never forget. And it came back to bite me. I remember when Chris Jones got to Kemper County. Chris called me and he said, coach, tell me some things that make you be successful. Well, Little did I know that four years later, Chris was going to be whipping our butt and Kemper was going to be beating Philadelphia for the first time in 17 years. I don't regret that one bit uh, because anything we can do to help our children, help our young people is worth it. So anybody out there, you know, send me an email, reach out to me, and I would love to help you speak to you in any way I can to,
0: to continue to make this the greatest profession on earth. No doubt about it, Coach. Coach. Uh, before we go, um, w- do you want to share your Twitter uh, with the listeners? Maybe. I think it's at Coach T Dice. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think that's what it is. <laughs> All right. All right. That's that's fair enough. And it, and if you're not on Twitter, I'm sure you can find him on Facebook. Uh, no, I'm not on another. Facebook. No, not I, I, on Facebook. Okay. No,
1: I, I'm just on Twitter. Um, on Twitter. But uh, I'm, I'm 99% sure it's at Coach T. Dice. My wife is on Facebook at Shantae Dice. And she yeah. she uh, she gives me all the gossip when people talk about me on Facebook and stuff. And <laughs> some of my former players reach out to her and check on me and stuff. So um, right. you, you can get to me through her as well.
0: Okay. And, and, hey, Coach, don't feel bad. I'm not on Facebook either. And, uh, and, and, and if you still have, for the coaches, you know, it, I think, um the Mac still puts out a directory. Um it so, does. And I'm okay. in it. Yeah. I'm he's in it. he's in the directory. All right. Great deal. Okay. Coach, I appreciate it. Um listeners, uh, I appreciate you guys um uh, listen to it. Coach, it's been a, a a a blessing to to hear your stories. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Chris, and thank you for doing this podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. No doubt about it. From okay. all of us to all of you, good day and God bless. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to In Your Own Words podcast. I'm Chris Thickpen. If you would like to get in contact with me, you could send your inquiries to In Your Own Words, the number 20 at gmail.com. Again, that's In Your Own Words, 20 at gmail.com. From all of us to all of you, good day and God bless.